Hello and welcome to Cinema 7. I'm your host, Chris Hawk. To my right of me is Mara Picari. What is up, Chris Hawk? This is a Fire and Ice special. This is one of those episodes that we are without the John Kenoki. Yes, we are very sad, but we have to move on. Yeah, we just, jo- you know, John keep just... Calm, keep calm, carry on. Keep calm, carry on. John never got to see uh, Blade <laughs> Runner 2049. But he'll, he didn't have three hours. He didn't have. I, it's understandable. <laughs> understandable. True. True. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he'll be on later in the episode actually, to talk about uh, our trip to New York Comic Con. Some secret, sh- 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 oh, secret oh, stuff. Oh, right. Right. Even secret though it'll stuff. be in the title. So um, first things first, Mario. We recently uh, teamed up with Audible. Tell us what we're doing there. Um, if you go to audible.com/c7pod, you can uh, sign up and get a free trial with audible.com. Uh, like I said, that's C7Pod you could use, uh, the code, and you get a free trial with them. And it's pretty cool. I have Audible.com, or I have Audible, not Audible.com. And uh, oh, I listen to a bunch of... Mario owns it. Mario owns Audible.com, <laughs> own guys. Okay. Uh, I listen to a lot of audio dramas. That's what I really like. I- I'm trying to get more into the uh, audio versions of books, too, because I'm, I'm not a big reader. So I think that's going to be my path through books is... Uh, listening to the audio versions but i listen to a lot of audio dramas i just got one through uh audible it's a audible original uh alien out of the shadows i really dig it um it doesn't make sense in the timeline and stuff like that but uh whatever it's pretty cool so yeah audible.com slash c7 pod and use that code and you'll get a free trial it's pretty cool yeah if you have if you're one of those people with a long commute in the morning and back home at the end of the day, this is perfect for you. My father-in-law, he he loves Audible.com. He listens to a lot of books, and he he logs a lot of miles, so he goes through a lot of books. And with Audible, he has that he has that perfect chance to do many many books and all that jazz. And he he he's very pleased with Audible. Audible is very good in the car, long trips, oh, yeah. I agree. plane rides, just chilling in the bed on a rainy day, just listening because you can just you can just relax and just listen instead of you know sometimes. I don't know about you, but I get into uncomfortable positions when I'm trying to read a book. And this, you can just relax, lean back, and not even, you can actually close your eyes and just listen to the smooth voices of whoever's reading. Like, maybe you want to listen to J.K. Rowling reading Harry Potter. Exactly. Because uh, that, that, she, she did that. Or if you're a fan of That's, wrestling, there's uh, Jim Ross's new book, uh, Slobberknocker. Uh, he, does, he, does he narrate yeah, it, too? Yeah, he does. So oh, my God. You know, that's got to be kind of cool. So hit up Audible, C7P, uh, is that what it C7 is? C7Pod. C7Pod for your free trial of Audible. And definitely be sure to uh, hit subscribe on iTunes. That way, episodes of Cinema 7 download right into your phone if you have an Apple product. And, you know, rate us and review us on there as well. Do that. Give us five stars. And um, so we got some news today. Something dropped today, Mario. Something oh, dropped. something special did drop. Some special job, and we're about to go ham because I don't know. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this verbally on the podcast, but I know I've told Mario and John this many, many times. That so the Black Panther dropped, the new Black Panther trailer dropped, and I think I've said this to Mario a bunch of times that I'm more excited for the Black Panther movie 
than I am for any other Marvel movie out there, even Infinity War. Because, I, I mean, I have high expectations for Infinity War, mm-hmm. but Black Panther, man. Black Panther is important to so many different types of people that this, this movie is, this movie looks so good because of this trailer. Talk to me about this trailer, Mario. Tell me how good it I, I actually, I just watched it uh, a few hours ago. I really like this trailer. I, I honestly, um, this might be surprising to a lot of people because I'm a big Star Wars fan, but I thought the Black Panther trailer was better than the Star Wars trailer. Ooh. And we go over it on our Foreigner episode. I love episode. that fast take. I love it. I love that quick take. Uh, we, go, we go over on our Foreigner episode, uh, you know, that we, I, I think it's very misleading on purpose that, you know, and we, t- we discussed that a little bit. I think that's why I like it more. Is this because it's straightforward? It's like this is the Black Panther. He's gonna kick ass, and I I think it looks. I, I agree. I'm more excited for it than Avengers Infinity War. Uh, I'm not too high on Marvel like uh, you know Chris Hawk is, or you know uh, our friend Chris Poole over at Fireside Comics. But you know I am excited for Black Panther, and I I, I agree. I, I'm because of this trailer. I'm probably way more excited for it than anything that Marvel's going to put out in a little bit. All right, pick one thing from this trailer that blew you away. Uh, I'm kind of getting a whole Loki versus Thor vibe from uh, Michael B. Jordan and uh, Chad, what is it? Is it uh, Chadwick Boseman? Chadwick Boseman. Uh, so yeah, I think that looks exciting to me. You're going to see that whole plot uh, play out on the screen and just him. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the whole... It looks like the suit is CGI when he's just walking without the mask on, so it looks a little weird to me. But when he's in the full suit and everything and he's jumping off the cars and all that jazz, I I thought that looked pretty neat. So my favorite part has got to be... So in in the comics, Iron Man has this suit called the Bleeding Edge suit, and what the suit does is that that it materializes over his body through nanites, through... And it was through... I saw that. Because of... It was because of... um, What's the what's it called in um, Iron Man three when uh, I can't even remember the thing of what it's called. It starts with uh, oh man. What what happened? I'm uh. What are you trying? Whatever the surgery, the surgery. Oh, what's that called? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I haven't seen Iron Man three in a while. Well, it's the this like the Tony he- Tony Stark's like best suit in my opinion. Is called the bleeding edge suit, and what it does is it materializes out of your skin and onto your body, and so we kind of see Michael B. Jordan do that to the Black Panther suit, and in a quick take of where he's like he has two daggers comes out, and then the suit goes over the Black Panther suit goes over his entire body, and I was like that was amazing, bleeding edge before Tony Hawk, I mean Tony Stark, whoa Tony Hawk before uh, Tony Tony Hawk does the nine hundred yeah before. Before Tony Stark does the Bleeding Edge, because Tony is supposed to be the most technologically advanced in the MCU, but now that we find out that Wakanda exists, and that it has been very technologically advanced for a long time, ahead of the curve, I think, and I've been reading these rumors online, that some people want Black Panther to take Tony Stark's place when Tony Stark, um, his eventual uh, send-off after Hmm. the Avengers movies, which it's going to happen. Uh they're, Tony, mm-hmm. um, he can't stay in the Avengers for too long, and someone needs to come with the gadgets. And I think you're going to have the polar opposite of the snarky leader. You're going to have the calm, collected leader. 
I can, in uh, Chadwick Boseman's I can Black s- Panther. I can see that, but I can also not see it at the same time because of the whole pol- the whole different uh, character. Because it, I feel like you kind of need that that snarky guy to counteract Captain America. Because then with Captain America and Black Panther, you're technically almost having the same. They're similar personalities. So I. So this is another thing to the theory is. Captain Marvel is going to take the place of Captain America, oh. and Black Panther is going to take the spot of Tony Stark, and Captain Marvel is going to be the snarky uh, do-gooder, but she's a bit mischievous. I'd rather see... And then you have Black... I'd rather see, uh, what's his name, is the Falcon take Captain America's role in that, because he kind of has a, a silly side to him, in a way. Man, I hope uh, Bucky... And the Falcon become the new Captain America, like two Captain Americas. Oh my goodness! Because I think they could really, I think they could pull that off. The next cap, like if you had two of them, yeah. without Chris Evans in a Captain America movie, I think it could work. Well, they're doing it right now. I mean, with uh, they're doing it right Marvel now. Marvel Generations. The only thing I I see being a problem with Black Panther being in the Avengers is that he he's the king of Wakanda, so he's got to rule Wakanda. I, you don't see him doing. Avengers that often, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I mean that's the only. Pr- Maybe the Avengers is just gonna be like we need to bring them together type of thing because I feel like after the first Avengers, you're right. with this, you're right. With the second Avengers, it seems like they kind of are doing stuff on their own, but they're also, you know, what I mean, well, see, the timeline is all weird since so, but I feel like with Avengers two and Civil War, they're all kind of always interacting with each other, and I feel like. Once in, after Infinity War, I have a feeling it's just going to be like, well, we need the Avengers to come together, so then we're going to work together when we need them. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, it does. It does. Uh, I just know that Chadwick Boseman is not, he's not young. He's in his 40s, mm-hmm. so he could be the next he is? role for... Yeah, he's in his 40s, man. He's kind of... Wow. He's like 39, 40. Yeah. I mean, you know what they he say. Doesn't look at, he, doesn't, he doesn't look at that. Black, Black don't, don't crack. Black don't crack. Black yeah, don't that, crack. You're totally right. That don't, you're, you're totally right. Um, I'm excited because Black Panther he brings he brings something new to the to the team. Like he he just he's he's different. You're excited. I mean, there are I am excited, man. Black <laughs> Panther was one of my favorite parts of um, the new Avengers and, and uh, Avengers series that Jonathan Hickman did mm-hmm. up into the the um, the event the Marvel event Secret Wars. The he's the um, battle between Namor. And Black Panther was one of my favorite storylines in that in that uh in that arc. He's one of my favorite parts so, of uh, Ultimate Avengers two. Dude, Ultimate Avengers two. Yeah, Ultimate Avengers the, the, two. The, the, the video the video game? No, the uh, that's Ultimate Alliance. I'm talking about the uh, okay. the cartoon uh, movie. Oh yes, he is very good in that too. It's just he's a very under an underrepresented hero. You don't see him a lot, so him getting time. Any time at all is just. I'm just glad Marvel did. That's all I have to say. They say his new uh, comic is pretty good, but I, I just can't get into it because I heard it's art. very, very dry. Oh, it's really? It's kind of dry and political, but but a lot of people like that. True. I I just can't get into it because of the art. True. Everything's got to be. I'm an art guy when it comes to comic books, so if the art intrigues me first, then I, I feel like you got to have with comics, you got to match the art with the plot. Or the the theme. Yeah, there's sometimes, and sometimes the the art doesn't always. There's definitely, do that. yeah. You there's sometimes when the art does turn me off of the story and whatever I'm reading. So 
I hear you. It definitely does. T- it definitely is a factor in some um, in some stories. But other than the fact of his suit turning purple, which was super dope, um, we don't reveal too much of the trailer, so that way you can see it for yourself. But it's it is one of the best Marvel trailers out there. So in other news, Mario and John went to New York Comic Con over the past last last weekend. Yes, and they're right now. This instant breaking. They're going to talk to you about it. We're going we're gonna to get down into our trip to New York, the Javits Center. Talk about New York Comic Con, John Kanoki and I. We're going we're gonna to tell you about all the details and everything we did. All right, so I'm here with John Kanoki. John Kanoki and I are going to talk about New York Comic Con. Uh, before we do that, John, tell us about that Audible. Chris Hawk and I mentioned it, but I think you would know more about the uh, Audible.com thing. Yeah, so uh, like every uh, good faithful podcast that you might be listening to or not, because you just listen to us because you're cool like that, uh, we're affiliated with Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com backslash C7pod, that's C7pod, and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook. You get to keep the audiobook afterwards, so you don't even have to complete the trial. You just get a free audiobook. It's kind of cool. I mean... Oh, that's awesome. You could actually just create a bunch of free accounts and get a bunch of free audiobooks. Or you could actually you use go. their service because it's pretty good from what I hear and get to listen to some good stuff if you don't have time to read. So yeah, that's uh, audibletrial.com backslash C7pod. And I, uh, I dig Audible, so definitely check that out. Yeah, it's definitely a great way to uh, listen to things, especially if you're you know getting low on some podcast episodes on your way to work or whatever. Exactly. But uh, New York Comic Con... John Kenoki and I went to uh, New York Comic Con last week, and uh, it was fun. It definitely was a bit crowded. It was an event. That's what it was. It was an event. It definitely was. Uh, we made a little video of our uh, journey from the parking garage to Comic Con. We put that on our social media pages. Uh, John, how would you describe... We didn't go Thursday, but we went Friday and Saturday. We didn't go Sunday. Uh, Comic-Con has been doing this four-day thing for a couple years now, but I feel like Thursday is still that day that's for, uh, like, it's kind of just press past people. You know, Friday and Saturday is the big days, and then Sunday's kind of, hey, take your kid for free day. Yeah, they, they, in the past, they've had, like, big events on Thursday to promote people to go, like, concerts and stuff. I don't think they did that this year, and they didn't. They only sold four-day passes. They didn't sell three-day passes, which was weird but i guess because of the construction that's how it worked out i only heard bad things about sunday though with the amount of uh free kids that got in there was nowhere to walk and we thought it was crowded on the days we were there yeah it was definitely packed uh i mean it was packed a couple times we went i think the first year you and i went together it wasn't too bad uh but the years the other two did we go three and this is our fourth yeah this would be the fourth time i've went it's definitely been increasing in number. So that construction they were doing in that other building did not help. Yeah, it's. I mean, they limited tickets that they sold this year, and I know they sold out Friday and Saturday, maybe Sunday. I think Thursday was iffy because they were pushing it on me up until the last minute. Like, I kept getting these emails like, you're going to miss out. <laughs> yeah, me too. But- uh, so we won't talk about much of what happened on Thursday, but on Friday, uh, we pretty much... Scope joint out. We were scoping the place out. They had a big 
uh, I guess they had an artist draw all these different shirts for New York Comic Con, or different artists do like uh, cartoony or kid style art for the shirts. Uh, I got one. I got a New York Comic Con shirt, but that, I I think I got it the second day because I was a little iffy. Or did I get it later that day? No, you you went remember. back that day. You were you were getting it that day. They had all these like uh, XP experience things set up where you uh, uh, type your badge on the things, and uh, we didn't do that till later Friday, and then we tried to do it Saturday, but yeah, it was we didn't win anything. It was definitely different that they had like free giveaways for scanning your badge. It's kind of weird, I guess, because they've never done that before. That at least that I've been there. Maybe it's new since we've been back. You know. Yeah, because we did miss a couple years. Yeah, what, two years? Yeah, something like that. And then we came back on what everybody's saying is the worst year in a while, apparently. <laughs> uh, Friday, we didn't really do much, did we? We got uh, what's-his-name's autograph for our, for our ladies. Yeah, good old uh, Jim Cummings, voice of uh, Winnie the Pooh. And, uh, Legends are of, born in November. T- tons of other uh, <laughs> uh, voices. We we saw all the autograph people, you know, saw that Mark Hamill price two ninety five, cash only. Yeah, cash only. Got to use the ATM. Five dollars service charge. I walked in and out of Michael Rooker's line like four times, even though there was like nobody there. And then the final time I was about to do it, uh, there wasn't a big line. Did you see on uh, Saturday when I was waiting in uh, Pat- Patrick Rothfuss's line, uh, Michael Rooker? Got pizza for everybody in his line, and then ran up and down it like the Green Ranger usually does. Oh, really? Yeah, he was he was so I excited because he had a big line when he came back. That's pretty cool. He got pizza for everybody though. It was pretty awesome. Well, J.J. Uh, Abrams there, <laughs> going all out from Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, but we pretty much just walked around. They had like a live stage where they had people talk to, uh, like celebrities and stuff on this live stage in the in the one floor and that was a little weird because it was crowded in that area and everyone's standing there you couldn't really understand what people were saying and they had like monitors set up but i mean i don't want to just look at people i wanted to hear what people were saying yeah it was kind of set in the back in the corner with not a lot of space they usually have a lot of space for that so the same format i don't think they really took it into consideration how much little space they had because there was a ton of people standing around and it just didn't work you couldn't hear anything uh right by that was uh the the good old geico the good old geico stand and then right next door was the star wars the last jedi thing which i think you can wait in line and walk inside and it was it looked like uh like a room maybe that would be in the in first order ship or something and i think you could see people's costumes and some props but it wasn't much on that same uh in that same area down the ways a little bit was the rooster teeth stand or whatever booth kind of like a section now i remember back when we first started going it was just a booth yeah they had like a whole section and they're mostly promoting that uh what do you call it anime ruby yeah they're all the voice actresses were there of the main cast but i mean if you're gonna go to new york comic-con to meet rooster teeth you, you might as well just go to rtx because you can meet them walking around there's no reason to go to new york comic-con for that 
Yeah, I remember you were saying that. You were like, yeah, when me and Nick went, they were just walking around. and Yeah, they walk around. Just... They're like super awesome. And I mean, they walk around Austin all the time, too. You can meet them. And they're really casual about it. One day there's going to be a Cinema 7 uh, convention. One day. That's shooting for the stars. <laughs> we're shooting for the stars. Not much happened after we got the autograph, right? We just kind of looked around some more again. And I might have bought a t-shirt or two. Got a Robotech shirt, got that New York Comic Con shirt, like I said. Yeah, the one thing is, like, when we looked at the panels, it just seemed significantly worse than previous years. I mean, I understand there's less because they have less space, but the panels themselves seemed to lack in quality. I don't know if you mm-hmm. got that, that feeling. I, I did. Uh, the only other one I wanted to do besides, uh, you know, some of them that we that seemed interesting were either at Madison Square Garden or at the Hammerstein Ballroom, ECW's last pay-per-view, not a cough-cough, but yeah, they were real far away, those, uh, the other seemingly good panels, and then the one we went to was on Saturday, which was the Twisted Tunes one, which we'll get into a little bit, uh, but I wanted to see the DC one with uh, Frank Miller and a couple other... Uh, DC guys, other than that, I mean, I, and I was fine with missing the DC one because I did, but it, I mean, the Twisted Tunes one was totally worth it. Other than that, I, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much going on. Yeah, I mean, panel wise, it just seemed to lack. And I know some of the big name guests who even dropped out before it started, which was, I mean, kind of lackluster. You still have the big Star Wars names, but I mean, even the guests seemed less and less important there was a cool uh uh by the bandai uh whoever makes the gundam models and all that that area with the cool uh figures there was a pacific rim type deal set up and they showed the trailer on the screen and it was like it was like surround sound and i think that was one of the coolest things i saw um seeing those figures totally gonna buy the captain america samurai figure just saying that just showed. Yeah, those are pretty cool. They had some games set up this year. Uh, there was... Uh, they had like a Shadow of Mordor section as well with the big dragon you can get on take a picture with. Uh, they had Monster Hunter World section that looked really cool with like leaves and stuff. And that line was always long the both days we went. Yeah, they capped it, which I'm not a fan of the line capping because that happens almost immediately and they never open it. Yeah, it's just, some of the lines, too, for things were really unorganized, it seemed like. I mean, if you... It was you, like, no, you gotta go over there. You remember back to, you know, when we used to go, like, the the Halo 4, the one year? That line, yeah. like, they had so much space for the line, because they knew people would wait in it all day. Why wouldn't you do that for, you know, big games that people want to play? Yeah. They had, like, a Square Unix... Games, uh, a couple Final Fantasy games that looked like you could play. Uh, one of them looked like a remaster or something. You said, uh, I don't recall. I know there was a uh, uh, the new Dissidia, I think, and then something else, but nothing, no like major Final Fantasy. And then they had uh, Life is Strange Before the Storm. Yeah, that's right. And then they had uh, Marvel's Capcom. Uh, Infinite. I almost said Marvel's Capcom 3 because it just looks like it to me. Wasn't Street Fighter right next to it? Yeah, the Street Fighter 5 was right next to it. Wasn't 
a big section for Marvel vs. Capcom. I mean, probably because the game's already out. Yeah, I would think so. I don't really know what they're showcasing there. There was that Thanos, though. He's kind of cool. Or whatever that guy is, not Thanos. It was uh, Ultron and... Uh, I guess I guess in the game, Ultron and the Mega Man villain combined. Yeah, looks like Thanos. That's all I know. <laughs> it, it basically... You, I mean, the stones are really important in that game. The Infinity Stones. We played that. Uh, what did you think of that game? It was alright. I, I mean, it's more and more like Street Fighter. So, I really yeah. don't need it. I thought the graphics were a uh, step down from the uh, third Marvel's Capcom, in my opinion. I did like the use of the stones. That's neat, but never going to be anything I'm going to buy. The other big game that we played was Dragon Ball Fighter Z. You know, I, uh, I, could, I read that it's 15 fighters. There's four in addition to what we had the experience of playing with. Oh, oh was, did you read that in the Game Informer? Yeah, and uh, 15, There's, that's not enough. Yeah, there, it seems like they might, maybe they'll do a DLC thing, but I'm getting tired of adding DLC people. Just let us unlock it in the game. Just let us unlock characters. I'm really excited, though. I don't know if you read that Game Informer, but the Dragon Balls are in it, and there's a system for collecting them, and apparently if you get them all, something happens. Really? And they say, like, no other fighter has ever done this, because I guess it happens mid-fight, where you collect them all. So who knows what happens. What? I think you might have done something, too, where you collected one. Yeah, I don't even we know, because they're, like, they show up really small at the bottom, so I could have not even known. But yeah, we that, did. We played twice. We that, waited in line. That game looks beautiful, and oh, it's... Yeah. it's Pretty well thought out. Those matches last last a while, but I mean, I just want more people. I mean, yeah, we we were like, man, is this is this fight? Our matches lasted forever. We were like, oh my goodness. But I I kind of thought that added to how awesome it was to me, like how long the matches are. It feels more like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it's not over instantly. It's not something like where one guy gets this crazy, insane combo, and you got a comp co- co- combo breaker. Combo breaker. I mean, apparently Vegeta can do like a 94 hit combo. I somebody did while they were playing the demo at some convention. Uh, they recorded it or playing the demo or something. But I, uh, it's hard to keep doing the combos. I mean, once we figure it out, I'm sure there's a way to break it. So yeah, that game I mean, was super fun. I'm totally buying it. Yeah, balance wise, who knows how it's gonna end up? But on the surface, it looked good. Totally buying it. Like I said, we waited in line twice. Uh, they had a big uh, boom booth that we walked around a little bit. I gave in and bought uh, the Planet of the Apes Green Lantern comics because of all the covers. They were beautiful. I might get fra- a frame and put them in a frame and hang them on the wall. They're so beautiful. You should. That'd be fantastic. We got some art, too. or I got some art. I got like a... I uh, don't know the name of the artist. I think I have his card. I could totally plug him, but I got the Godzilla, like a big Godzilla poster with all the monsters, and then he, I guess, had a Dusty Rhodes one that I saw, and I was like, gotta get it. Gotta get it. You got that little Mothra, too, right? For free? That's true. That's true. I did get that. Artist Alley was packed, man. Crowded. Yeah, it was like half the size of the normal one. The last thing we'll probably talk about was the panel we went to, Twisted Tunes. Uh, John, how was, how was that experience? You know, I, when I was waiting for you, uh, just, you know, sitting in your, uh, your dad's apartment's living room while you were in the bathroom, 
when I saw that, <laughs> I was pretty excited because that video of uh, Jim Cummings as Winnie the Pooh Darth Vader has been all over the internet for a while now. And I was like, is this what this is? And then I realized that it's set up that way because the, you know, all the people are there. I was like, we got to go to that. The thing was amazing. Oh, that was, that was so much fun. That was the, the highlight of the whole Comic-Con, I think, honestly. It's, it, um, it's weird they never done it before at New York Comic-Con because I, I think they do it at San Diego yearly or if not yearly, like regularly. I don't know. I don't know how new it is, mm-hmm. but it's definitely awesome. And if you ever get the chance, you should definitely check it out. I mean, the wait is worth it. Twisted Tunes. Twisted Tunes. Whoever was uh, hosting it, he was a good host, but he looked like Steven Seagal. Maybe that's what he's going for. Maybe he's an impersonator. Hey, he's Steven Seagal impersonator. Uh, who was it, though? It was uh, Jim Cummings, Legends Are Born in November. Uh, the voices of the Animaniacs, all three of them. That's true. Troy uh, Baker does... and Troy Baker. Nolan North. Nolan North, that's right. And the three Animaniacs, the one guy was like a uh, Rob Zombie. Uh, the guy who plays Wacko looks like Rob Zombie and... Uh, Axel Rose combined and the uh infused with like a eighties wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of body type. Mickey Rourke and yeah. uh the guy from Pinky in the Brain and uh the the chick who plays the girl on the Animaniacs dot. Uh she's also voiced as uh someone on Futurama and a bunch of Simpsons voices. Yeah, all her characters are pretty much the same. Like once you've heard her, you can recognize her anywhere. They read the script for uh, the new Ghostbusters movie, the, the reboot, which I didn't even care about the, most of the lines. I mean, most of the lines didn't... They, they made them funny with the voices, and I kind of want to see the movie now, but I don't know. It, it, I think they, what they did was perfect. Might ruin it. True, it might ruin it. But uh, Jim Cummings, man, his uh, James Brown and his Mike Tyson was... Absolutely hilarious. It was just out of nowhere. I did not then, expect that. The guy who plays Wacko was dying, man. He was anything that Nolan North did, that dude was dying. Right, Nolan North's shoulder must have been sore. He got punched so many times. <laughs> uh what was the uh, the one that you liked? Uh that Troy Baker did? Uh I don't he did he did a Snape. Oh, or, that's uh, right. Alan Rickman, but that was, you know. Snape is what he's going for, but he also did uh, his Joker, which I mean, I like his Joker voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did Matthew McConaughey. You liked when he did oh, that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he kept like getting further and further down in the chair, just being relaxed. You know, Matthew yeah. McConaughey, you know how he is. <laughs> uh, so we'll wrap it up here and we'll get back to Blade Runner 2049 with Chris Hawk and I, but how would you rate this New York Comic Con versus the other ones, John? I don't know if I could give it a number rating, but I would say lackluster just in terms of content. It just mm-hmm. felt like a, any other convention to me it didn't feel special, like New York Comic Con should being the largest convention in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll have to agree. I mean, the best, like we said, was the Twisted Tunes thing. And, you know, walking around is fun with all the different things they have there. You know, seeing the Rooster Teeth thing was cool, but I'm sure... Like you said, going to their convention is probably better. And then uh, the the uh, Star Wars props thing was pretty neat. Uh, 
I dig Artist Alley. I love Artist Alley. It was just too crowded. And they have a big Marvel thing, and they always do cosplayers there. They always have cosplayers go on stage. I think uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were on stage when we walked by the one time. I love Boom Comics. So I love that whole thing. But, I mean, it was fun. Like, I mean, going with you, it, you know, obviously makes it better. But, you know, the like you said, the lack of... the just content-wise, it was lackluster. Yeah, I mean, I, that's all there is to say about it. It'll get better. You know, maybe we'll go back next year. Yeah, or maybe we'll go to San Diego. That's a stretch, maybe. <laughs> all right, John. I'll talk to you later, man. Hey, you guys have fun talking about that Blade Runners. Blade Runners. Is there anything you want to uh, leave for Chris Hawk, message for Chris Hawk? No, I just, you know, hope he's doing his thing in whatever spot he's in today. <laughs> I love it. I wish I was there. I really wish I was there. So, welcome to the main event. Down to the nitty gritty, down to what everyone was here for. And let's just say that this Blade Runner 2049, I don't know if I mentioned it in the beginning of the podcast. I think I did. But Blade Runner 2049, critically acclaimed already. By, it's heralded by most of the critics, Mario. Like, it's the best sequel of all time. I didn't know that, because I saw a lot of mixed things about Like, I, well, I've seen more positive things than I've seen bad things, but I have seen I've some seen, bad I've things seen more, about it. The, I've, I've seen more audience mixed reactions, and I've seen more greatly positive critical reactions uh, okay. from critics. I can see that. We're just too dumb, you know, the audience. We're just oh, too we're dumb. we're just too dumb to understand Blade Runner. S- Super dumb. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about Blade Runner OG for a little bit. Not even not too long because we got a lot to get over, uh, get through. So Mario, you recently just watched Blade Runner through and through. Yes. Um, I know it's a boring movie for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not for everyone. Absolutely. What did you? What? How did you feel after you watched that movie? Well, the first time I tried to watch it, uh, we talked about this a long time ago, Hawk, was the, uh, I was watching the one with the narration, and I kind of fell asleep watching that one, not gonna lie. Uh, it wasn't... <laughs> Harrison Ford puts you to sleep, man. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, bad. I just, I don't know if I was tired or if just the... Same thing when I tried to watch 1984. You ever try to watch that movie? Yeah, it's very boring. Yeah, I felt like, I fell asleep instantly. But, I watched the director's cut. See, the final, the final cut apparently has extra scenes to make you think that uh, Deckard is a replicant, apparently. And I, I don't know. I, I, I might have preferred the narration after watching the director's cut. Really? Yeah. I, 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 think, it, I think it adds more to the noir style because I, I, I felt like with the director's cut is a little more boring in a way. I mean, you get Okay, more, I could see that. You get a little more sense of the... Uh, the plot, I guess, with the director's cut, you can you can follow the plot easier. But I think with the narration, you kind of get more into the character. And, you know, there's also that you also have to pay attention and listen to the narration. So I think you're more mm-hmm. involved in the movie. I don't know how I felt, honestly, after watching it. I, I kind of I felt like the movie was a little uneventful, in my opinion. It, it, it didn't really have okay. I didn't really see all the meaning behind it. I mean, I understood it. But I, I personally didn't think it was there in a way because nothing, not a lot happens. 
other than you know the replicants want to be real and the guy kills his maker type of thing which you kind of see in prometheus in a way or you, you kind of see that same type of metaphor in prometheus absolutely i i, I mean i, I don't know because in the beginning i was a little confused you know they didn't really tell you that the guy at the thing was a replicant i mean i guess you could you can kind of get the sense of it because he's really emotionless when he's doing the uh inter- the the quiz or test or whatever i don't know I, I i i didn't think it was all that honestly which is interesting i appreciate it but i didn't think it was all that well i appreciate well it's it's interesting because i think i've mentioned a couple of times that blade runner is one of my all-time favorite sci-fi movies and I, I think we mentioned that in our fave in our fave sci-fi, which was one of our first episodes that we've think, ever done. I think you I think did it was number two, number three. You did uh, Ghost in the Shell, Fifth Element instead of yeah, yeah. I did. I think I did Fifth Element instead of uh, because you said Blade Runner is not it, for it's everybody. Minority Report, Ghost in the Shell, Blade Runner isn't for everyone. And so I actually we watched it for the first time in like almost nine years. So like the first time I watched it, I was like you. I watched the narration part and I got so bored. I got I I was looking at this dumb pyramid looking building thing and I was like this is so boring. I mean the special so effects for the time were unbelievable. They, they still they still kind of hold up. Yeah, they do. They still kind of hold up to me. I I I wasn't taken out of it at all. So I watched it again when I was 18, you know. It was raining outside, bowl of popcorn, and I was just and I got the director's cut for my dad and I watched it and I I just fully I just loved it. Now, at this time, when I was 18, this is when I was fully developing my, my movie taste. You know, we, we grow. And so since then, I've always considered it one of my favorite sci-fi movies because that was one of the first big sci-fi movies that I've seen. And I, and I fully, like, I was one of those things where I was, like, fully immersed. I was like, my entire intention is on this movie. Mm-hmm. And what I found out when I watched it the other day, I found out, I found myself not liking it as much as when I first saw it. And that was kind of shocking because, you know, I'm, I usually don't change my mind about these type of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I know, I know, I know my sci-fi, you know, yeah. I know my stuff. <laughs> and, and I don't think, I don't think it was, I don't think it's cause it's, it was bad, got worse over time. I just think that there's been so many more good sci-fi movies that have come out since then that have changed my mind about sci-fi that makes Blade Runner not one of my favorites anymore. So Blade Runner is not my favorite anymore, but Blade Runner still holds a special place in my sci-fi mind, my sci-fi like um, ladder yeah. of sci-fi movies. And it's it's when we talk about sequels, we usually you usually know when a movie deserves a sequel because not everything's explained. Yeah, this I they, it didn't need kinda, a sequel, honestly. I, I'm under the depression that it it didn't not need a sequel, and it did need a sequel at the same time where I it didn't bother me that they were making a sequel. Yeah. It's just that couldn't you have done couldn't Dennis Villanueva done something different? That's what I'm saying. Like is this a story that he really wanted to tell or is, or is I mean is this a movie that he wanted to show or could he have done something different? Because I think I Well, how much honestly, did uh, Ridley Scott ha- I, how much was he involved in the script? He was involved. He, well, he actually was involved. Ridley Scott, I think, has some aspects of the screenplay involved mm-hmm. for Blade Runner 2049. Uh, no, no. Blade, he was a producer. Ridley Scott, his company, was a producer on Blade Runner 2049. You, you know what's weird is 
I guess we'll talk about it once we get into Blade Runner 2049, unless you don't mind if I mention it now. Let's do it. Let's get right into uh, it, because we kind of went over Blade Runner. I, it's weird, because in the first one, I, I personally feel like Harrison Ford's character, Deckard, he's not really that important to the universe other than being a Blade Runner. And I feel like... The best Blade the best Blade Runner. Okay, he's the best. Right? He's the best. Bla- he's, Blade, the, he's the best. He's the best. But I feel like the story is more for the replicants. So he, I feel like he becomes the protagonist based solely on his job title, not because of who he is as a person. You know what I mean? So I didn't feel like he was very meaningful to what the story was. And it's weird that in the second one, in my opinion, they make him very meaningful to the universe i feel like he was just kind of thrown into the story so he becomes the protagonist and the hero in the first one versus this one where he's like he's super meaningful do you know what i'm trying to say it, it do you how do you feel about him almost being the bat like i'm I'm pretty sure like we're supposed to root for the replicants of blade runner because they're trying to just be human and what what and like something like i would say what I don't think we're going to get, I don't want to define human yet because that's for our question at the end. But one of the things about being a replicant is that they have a limited life cycle and what they're trying to do is prolong it. And that's, that's pretty human trying to prolong your life. Yeah. And Deckard is the one that ends them prematurely. So we, I think we're supposed to, we're supposed to relate to the replicants and we're supposed to think Deckard's a bad guy. So I, like, I automatically assume, like, I want Deckard to do good because he's, I mean, obviously, he's the main character, but at the same time, I want the replicants to live because, honestly, they just want to survive. They were slaves. They just want to survive. Yeah. So I'm kind of in the mixed up position where Deckard is a bad guy, becomes a good guy at the end, and and then in Blade Runner 2049, we get the last hour with him, and we're supposed to feel, we're supposed to feel that he has missed, okay, we're going into super, we're, when we Mar, when me and Mario do Fire and Ice, we just throw everything out the window. We don't yeah, even care. Super no spoilers thoughts from anymore. the get go. Yeah, there's no general thoughts anymore. So get used to it, buckos. <laughs> buckos. <laughs> so Harrison Ford has a daughter. He had a daughter with Sean Young's character's Rachel. Rachel was a was one of the last replicants made by Tyrell Corporation that somehow had the ability to procreate. We find all this out in the movie. The last, but she the also human... thought she also thought she was human, right? She di- yeah she she did until Deckard kind of cracked her. You know what I'm saying? Oh uh, okay yeah, yeah. kind of cracked her, and then the whole rapey scene, which was re- a very weird love scene. Yeah. I I understand it feel it feels like rape, but he's trying to coerce. Uh-huh. It, it it's it's I don't want to defend that scene. I don't yeah just it's a very uh, it's weird it's, yeah, very weird. I, I get you're saying but, though like. It's also kind of interesting that I feel like he he questions his own reality once he meets her in the first one. Like, he questions if he's real or if he's a replicant. You know what I mean? Or human or a replicant. And that's good because that, that ambiguousness is good for the movies. Because really, in Blade Runner 2049, you re- really never get uh, a lock on whether he's a replicant or a human again. And I think they left that like that on purpose, which I, which is why I didn't like when Ridley Scott came out and said, "Oh yeah, record's a de- record is Deckard is definitely a replicant." I was like, "Come on, dude, 
that's not cool. It it's better when it's when it's left to the audience's choice. Exactly. Like when you have that good discussion point about a movie and it brings up fiery debates and it's good debates. That's that's good for a movie. That's how it becomes a cult hit. And I think Ridley Scott needs to be taken away from all his movies because <laughs> exactly we're not talking we're not talking about Ridley Scott because uh, we could go on forever. <laughs> Next Alien, we'll so talk about when, Ridley when Scott. we find uh, yeah when we find out that Deckard has a daughter, the long lost daughter that they had to get rid of before she would be destroyed because she's an anomaly. We're supposed to feel a a some type of longing for. We're supposed to feel the longing that Deckard has for his daughter, and I don't feel that at all. We're supposed to feel good well, first, when you he don't reunites. Know, this is some of my favorite parts of the movie, is how they kind of make you think that maybe there's twins, or the whole thing of him discovering the child, and, he, and you making you think that he's the child. I love that whole aspect of this movie, but... It, of the whole, Ryan Gosling being the child, yeah, I, I think, and then him not being the child. I, I like that. I like that whole aspect. I, I love that's some of my favorite stuff about this movie. Would you have rathered him been the child? Honestly, I, I kind of like the way they. Well, probably yeah, because there was so much buildup of him finding out, and you only meet the daughter. Well, you, you don't find out she's a a, a daughter until later in the movie, but. Because there's like that whole, you know, the whole two ch- children thing with the same, uh, yeah, 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 DNA or whatever. And but did did you care when Harrison Ford reunited with his daughter? Honestly, not really. Like, like I was about. No, I did. I didn't. Either. I was about to I say, like, she's hardly in the movie. You only meet her once, so you don't really get the sense that there could, like, you know, what I mean, like, you're not guessing entire movie like oh she's the daughter it's just like at the end you're like oh my god she's the daughter i only met her one time in the movie still she is one of my favorite characters in the entire movie she's so awesome and when we talk about characters we're gonna get more in depth but honestly personally i think harrison ford's character actually lowers this movie for me it actually his i think his role him him just being in this movie made it i wouldn't say worse it just I, I wish he wasn't in this movie. It just took him... For me, I was wondering if he was ever going to be in the movie because of it, how long it <laughs> took for him to be, get into the, into the movie. It's like two hours into the movie, you know, Harrison, there's Harrison Ford, and I'm like, it's about time. I was waiting to see his character. And, and his scenes with Ryan Gosling weren't even really that good. I was expecting something like monumental from them. Some like really good like speeches or one-liners that would have like resonated with me yeah and they didn't except for like the dog where ryan gosling asks if the dog is real and harrison ford goes i don't know ask him i mean which is a really good line for the movie yeah. about replicants and humans but really i can't remember a scene between the two that impacts me other than them doing action against each other, which is, it feels like a montage to Roy Batty, uh, Beatty or Batty, in the last one, when he's, when Harrison Ford's getting hunted by the replicant, this one feels the opposite. That's like what I felt. But I did, I just, it, these movies are supposed to make us feel things. That's the whole point 
to me of movies uh-huh. and entertainment movies is you want to feel feelings when these things happen. Like I get amped in Pacific Rim when the sword comes out and <laughs> that's a great part. I get amped. I get this feeling in my chest that, you know, it's like hope, awesome, excitement, badassness. It's, yeah. You get that feeling and you don't, I, this movie is weird because I don't get those feelings from this movie. Yeah, it's more of like to make you think. I, 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 in my opinion, I guess. Which going back to Harrison Ford, in my opinion, he didn't feel like Deckard from the first movie. He kind of just felt like, oh, there's Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford? Yeah, there's angry old Harrison Ford, old Han Solo. Oh, <laughs> that's what it felt like more than Deckard from the first movie to me. It. I wish. I don't know, man. It's just. Him, him not. Be, I, I think it, you know what I think. Harrison Ford being in this movie ruined the the mystique to this movie because I was digging. I was digging it. I was mm-hmm. I was pretty digging it. You know, you know. Other than the me, my feelings. I guess it was because I, I guess I couldn't relate to Ryan Gosling's character. I mean, until well, like one part of the movie. Well, in my opinion, with Ryan Gosling, his personality comes out a lot in this movie into his his character, and he had. And we've talked about this where his his speech is different. And it, it for me, his personality, he has a cool personality. Don't get me wrong. He's like one of those uh, Rat Pack guys, he seems like, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Rat Pack guy. I dig it. I dig but, it. I dig it. I dig it. I just, I don't know. He, his personality doesn't fit science fiction to me. So I, seeing Ryan Gosling in this science, he was good. Don't get me wrong. He was, he was great acting wise. But those moments where he speaks and his personality comes out, it doesn't sit, fit science fiction to me. And looking at him, he doesn't really fit science fiction to me. I don't know. But everyone in this movie, besides... I think what bothered me about Harrison Ford is like what I said. He, his character didn't feel like Decker to me. But everyone else in this movie, I thought was excellent. Was excellent. Oh, man. Do you want to get into characters right now? Let's get into characters. All right, let's talk about Ryan Gosling's character. I, I didn't get the part about his personality coming out but i did get the part where sometimes the tone of what he was saying didn't fit the situation now i don't know if that was like a replicant choice or him trying to be different mm-hmm. but there's parts where i was taken out of the situation when he said something in a certain in a certain like fluctuating tone or that took me out i i personally didn't relate to his character so until we find out that he wasn't the son, the the hybrid, the replicate human hybrid. Yeah. And that's when I was I felt I felt I started to feel sorry for him. Because up until then, I was just I was just I was a onlooker to this story. I was you know, I'm following Ryan Gosling through this detective story. Oh dude, I, I was it. yeah, I was not digging really, it too. I, definitely. I'm not really feeling his pain or his turmoil well, of the whole you know, yeah. I lost my job. I, I did. I, got, I lost my house. I got. There was one part where I got real emotional. I think with the character, and that's when he finds the horse, because then yeah, he knows what, it's that's real. The part I was going to talk about. Yeah, that's what the part Ugh. I was talking about. I I was like I was like oh my, I was emotional with him. Like <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. That was one of the highs for me, and it's weird because there's moments where I'm like real high on it, and then it brings me right back down. Yeah, definitely. This, the peaks and valleys to this film are very vast. Um, I would say my favorite scene of Ryan's uh, was 
at the end when he's on the steps. And spoilers, super spoilers, he's dying, and it's snowing. But you don't. And um, well, I think, I think he's dying. It looks like he's dying, and it's the tears in the rain song from the first one, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty powerful scene. I'm not gonna lie, and I, I think, it's a very fitting end for his character, and I think mm-hmm. for his arc, it's pretty phenomenal. That's one of the, that's one of the few things I, well, not one of the few things, but that's one of my ups for this movie. Uh, what's another character you liked? Uh, let's get to my favorite character, uh, the hologram, Joy. Uh, I felt she was a good companion for Ryan Gosling. She's one of those, it's like, uh, every gumshoe needs, every detective needs his gumshoe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's dope. She's super dope. She, when I first, when, when, um, when we first introduced to her, I thought that she was in Ryan's head. And I was like, what is going on? And then she comes through the kitchen with the plate and all yeah. that. It's a little weird. And I, I was at first. just in, it is very weird. And I think it took me a little bit to get used to it, but I was I was in it, man. When when I found out she was a hologram and she was like like his wife. Yeah. And I I was dude, I was in it. I was like, this is the best read uh like I was like, this is sci fi right here. I love this <laughs> stuff. This is awesome. It's weird because he's and not then, he's supposed to be because the new replicants are supposed to be kind of, I don't know. It, it, to me, when I read the thing about the new replicants, they're supposed to be emotionless. And they're supposed to just follow spo- orders. Yeah, but he yeah. has his own yeah, yeah, yeah. He has his own apartment. He has his own wife. So it was, it was weird to see this replicant ha- have this hologram wife to me at first. But the more it goes on, I do get more used to it. And I get more into it. Because it, it is a cool little thing to have that side. And I love how... And I think that one of the best things about this movie is they never explain the technology in this movie. Yeah. And that's what I like about the first Blade Runner also. And so my favorite scene with her is the love scene with him, her, and Ryan Gosling. And I think it's one of the best scenes in the movie. It's very touching. It's very, it's, I wouldn't say awkward, but it's, it, it is it's a, it, off-putting at yeah. first. It's a little awkward, but I think there's a better word trippy. than awkward. It's very trippy. And it's, <laughs> I, I, would, I would argue that this scene in the movie alone would... Um, I would recommend this movie just on that scene because it's, I don't think it's ever been done in cinema before. The visuals and, in this movie, I will say, are fantastic. The, the cinematography uh, and the, and the, the special effects are awesome. The CGI for this movie might be the best I've seen in a long time. I, I can uh, agree with that. The the love making scene, oh, not the love making scene, but the love scene between Ryan Gosling and the hologram. I don't want to. I don't know. Um. Well, should I give it away or should people just go see it? Um. Or maybe let people go see it. Yeah. Um. It's a very it's very touching in the way because it's. The AI, I'm, I'm, I think she's an AI. I believe she's an AI, or she's at least a program. And she, she does this for Ryan Gosling's character, and it's, it's very symbolic. Yeah. Because it's, it's like she physically can't touch him, but the way she goes about this, she can. Also, she's, she's like pleasing. And also, pleasing. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you, you want me to go? I, ahead. I finished. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, <laughs> 
I think it it also adds to the uh the whole thing of him wanting to be real. Like you can see mm-hmm. it deep down that he wants to be real. And and the uh the chick Angel, I think her name is the Jared Leto's character. Are you talking about Oh, um Jared Leto's character or his sidekick? His his uh muscle, the chick who's his muscle or whatever. And she goes in Love. Is it what's her name? Love, L-U-V. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know why I thought it was Angel. Maybe because he calls her. Because he, he, yeah, he calls her Angels, like my little angel. She, you can kind of see that she was crying at some scenes when she was killing people. And I was supposed to get that, you know, she doesn't really want to do it. And she, and you can tell she doesn't want to be used to do this type of thing. Yeah. But I also would have rather seen maybe something or another scene of her. Uh, getting mad about doing it or something other than her crying constantly. I don't know. That's well, me. that's good because let's talk about love because I think she was the best villain in the movie. Um, oh, she was. She was very menacing. She was the she was only. Phenomenal. She was the only villain to me. Uh, Jared Leto wasn't <laughs> anything to me. Jared, I didn't care Jared about Leto his character. Was, Jared Leto was the mastermind. Okay, okay. <laughs> he was the mastermind that uh, uh, we only seen in two <laughs> scenes. <laughs> Um, love, love was easily a good menacing villain. Uh, I looked up her actress on uh, IMDb, and uh, I'm surprised I haven't seen her in more stuff. She is, she's remarkably beautiful, and she she she's done some good gigs, and she is downright menacing in this movie. She she like she kills Robin Wright like really fast. She kills a dude with a with a karate chop to the back of the neck. I was like. My goodness, this lady's super scary. Oh, that was brutal. Oh my gosh. This, she's like, takes no prisoners. They're like, the corporation, I guess, runs all over the police station and stuff, and they don't, they can't do anything about it because yeah. she never receives any retaliation. So um, I was like, this is like an ultimate killing machine right here. What'd you think she's of Jared brutal. Leto's character? I like Jared Leto's character. It, his, I still, it, the tone of his voice was off. For me a little bit because it sounds like he's not talking to love he sounds like he's talking to the audience mm-hmm. i don't know if you got that kind of uh to me it's, kind it of in like a way i can see i can see that now like he was that you mentioned it. or how about this he was talking to he was talking to a audience okay instead of just one person it it sometimes feels i don't like, know if i liked his stone things it felt that felt too futuristic to the to the technology that was shown in the movie I don't know if those mm-hmm. little stones that was his eyes really fit, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I thought they were super. I, I thought they were super dope I, I that think... he saw with he saw with stones. <laughs> that was super dope. He saw with stones, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't. I don't think there was enough of Jared Lewis' character for me. Yeah, I was surprised that there was so little of his character. You know, what's I, funny is we're talking about like we really like it, but me and you were so <laughs> we're like so conflicted. When, me and Mario... I think it's mainly. <laughs> Certain issue, certain plot issues is what conflicted us in Harrison Ford. I think I think on, we're both down on to Harrison si- Ford. <laughs> yeah, on my side, it's how meaningful they made Harrison Ford's character. I mean, it's a good way to make a sequel off of Blade Runner because I I don't, I was like, what what else can you do? Oh yeah, make it's a, a sequel d- off of Blade Runner. A, I would say that it's in line with how the first one created its world and its and its lore building. This is a perfect sequel because of what's involved. Like you have the symbolism yeah. there. It's very heavily symbolism. 
You have you have I, like I didn't know that Ryan Gosling's character was a replicant until I started watching the movie, and I was floored. I was like, oh snap, Ryan Gosling's a replicant. He would have made a good Blade Runner even as a human. What? So that was pretty cool. I just I don't know, but you know what I'm saying is I I, I mean I explained a little bit earlier is just how they took the characters from the first movie and made them so meaningful. It's a good way to make a sequel, and it fit. I, I, I mean, like I said, I don't know what else you could have done, so it, it kind of fit. But in a way, I, I was down on it. I, I don't know. See, I, I'm still conflicted because, like you said, there's so many valleys, peaks and valleys, in this movie. Like there, there's highs, and then there's points where it's low. We gotta talk about I'm the best so character in the movie, man. though. I'm just so conflicted. We gotta talk about the Who? best character in the movie, and that's Batista. Dude, Batista was uh, was good. Yeah, Batista was pretty good. I mean, he wasn't in it long, but he was good in this movie. Uh, he's better Batista. than The Rock. He's, Batista. He's, he's peeking he... over The Rock, man. <laughs> you know what? You know why? It's because Batista, he took, he took tons and tons of acting lessons in between, uh, before Guardians, in between Guardians 2. Really? He's been taking acting lessons to get really good, and I think it shows. I think it really shows. Because yeah, The Rock is just like, uh, seven bucks, seven buck per bucks production or whatever it's called. They just get him these movies, and it's like, okay, I'm an action star. Ah! And then I mean, you know, the, the Batista's like, I'm trying to get better with these roles. I'm trying to be trying a better to actually, actor. I'm the, trying to actually world. act and be. Yeah, yeah. He's actually trying to be a better actor. Nothing against the Rock, though. He's definitely entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean I love the, the Rock. Why I'm going to go see Jumanji. I'm not going to go see Jumanji. Yeah. Screw that. But that can't, that, that Randy Cannon ass get beat by Batista all the time. Batista bombed the rock. Um, I think um, we can talk about Harrison Ford's daughter. Uh, I called her the Dream Maker because I don't know her name. Yeah, neither do I. But um, I, feel, I feel like in this movie, she's the most tragic character because she's a human, per se, but yet she's trapped to, a, to like a dome and Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's character is a replicant, but he's not trapped to the world, and he actually experiences yeah. life while she's actually human and has to make up experiences. Well, she's so half who, human. Yeah, so who really is the human in this situation? And I think they uh, were trying to show that. I think they were trying to show that in the last couple Harrison minutes of Ford. the movie. Was, <laughs> he's the most human. I mean, really? Harrison just Ford? the way he's. His sacrifice is. I mean,. Technically, they all have a sacrifice, so sacrifice something. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think I would have liked it better if she didn't know she was a, the daughter, but you kind of get the sense at the end that she did know she was the daughter of a replicant. I felt she was kind of quirky. And <laughs> um, you get like that, that Zoe Deschanel thing from her. Okay. Not too much, though. Um, I did like her a lot. I, her her scene did t- have an impact on me when she was with Ryan Gosling. So I mean, I I did like her. Of the of the main characters in the movie, I think um, Joy, Love, and the Dreammaker were my favorite. Did you have a favorite character, Mario? I like I like Batista mainly because it's Batista. I I was <laughs> I dig Ryan Gosling's uh, characters. I don't dig. Ryan Gosling in the role, but I like the character in the sense of his story in the movie. 
and how where he comes from and where he gets to because you you can see him fighting wanting to be just that slave replicant but he's holding it back to Do you think he may so he had the ultimate choice in this movie and that was to start an uprising with the replicants or ret- or um not let Harrison Ford find his daughter and then or let Harrison Ford find his daughter was there a third choice or was was that it well, no, oh yeah, he kidnapped the daughter and bring it to them. I think that was the third. Well, choice. it was the go kill Harrison right. Ford, and I felt like go kill for go kill Harrison Ford, which I thought was the the reason he was going to do that was so Harrison Ford wouldn't give anything away because he's human, so he would have more emotional ties to going to find the daughter and giving her away is what I was as uh, how I thought. There was, you know, just go back to doing your normal stuff. Or there was, or I mean, go hide because he couldn't go back to doing it because he got compromised. But the, his choice of kind of sacrificing himself to, is to make himself more human, I thought was the other choice. Did you already say that? I think, I think you got you hit it on the nail that him having a choice in this matter was what kind of made him human. He, it didn't matter what he chose. It's just the fact that he actually made a choice. Yeah. Because usually he was never given a choice mm-hmm. because he's a replicant. But now he's given a choice and he acts on it. And in the end, you, can find a, you kind of can see his contentment in what he did. I mean, it, maybe was it the right choice? I mean, that's for the viewer to decide or anyone else. It's does. Just the ability to choose make one human, you know? Having the ability to choose your own demise or your own life yeah. over another. I can agree you know? with that. I, how, would you, how would you define what a human is, Mario? Uh, I would have to say uh, emotion. You gotta, it's, it comes down to, as humans, we all have emotions. I think it's, you know, t- to understand that you're not perfect and you make mistakes, in my opinion. I think that that's like some it. of what I would say defines us as humans. I definitely like it. I don't think it's just memories or your experience that make you human because they implanted false memories and false experiences in them. I, I do think that it comes down to choice and your emotions in that choice and all that. And I, I think you're right. I think having a choice and having emotions and, and us being me- mega mess-ups, you know, because as humans, yeah, we are mega mess-ups. Um, we make mistakes all the time. It really does make us human. So Mario, if you don't have anything else to talk to, I think we talked a bunch about this movie. Oh yeah. Do you want to go ahead and grades, or you got anything else? Uh, no. Let's go anything over. Anything you wanted to hit on? You have anything you wanted to hit on that you? I mean, I think I already talked about some of the things that I, I didn't, I didn't like mostly. I mean, the va- the the peaks. Uh, definitely one of them was when Ryan Gosling ran through the wall. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> that was the best part of the movie to me. 
<laughs> I think actually talking through this review, I think I finally decided whether or not I like this movie yet. And I, you're going to find out in the Slimmer <laughs> <laughs> I should have you record so Mario, you that and your... uh, do a thing for it. <laughs> I, I Go ahead, Mario. What's your grizzly grade? I, I think I'm going to... Man, this is hard. I'm still a little conflicted because there was, there was a lot that I like that brought me back down. But there were a lot of highs, and in, you know what you, you should know, talking do. Talking through it, I think I you should make it. You should give this two grades, like a variable grade, the grade that you feel it it gets when it's low, but a grade you give it when you when it gets high, and you should be like, I think talking through it, I'm a little more positive on it than I was with you. I I, I think. Mm-hmm. I think when I think about it, I would give it probably a eight to a nine out of ten. But I think because I was so conflicted, I'd have to give it a seven out of ten. And that's I, a lot higher than I thought you were going to give it. See, I I was thinking from a six to a six point five, but you know, talk retalking through it, I I just. I'd have to watch it again to honestly see a lot of the parts where I was low on. But, you know, talking through it, I, I definitely have more. I, I discussed more of the positives about it. I don't know. I'm conflicted yeah, I, on the whole you know plot what? in general. So <laughs> I'm definitely going to agree with you. Um, talking through it actually made me realize the more better parts of this movie and how they, they do override the bad parts of this movie. So, with the similarity Rubicon, I'm obviously going to pick the redundant Blade Runner movie, the first one, because they are when you they are very similar. And there's theme a lot of callbacks in this. Very much so, uh, especially the uh, flying through the cities. Like, how many times do I got to see that? I think that was something I was, I was a little down on. I was hey like, now, that was <laughs> amazing. Okay. Look, that's so cool, man! I got to um, see it least... eight more times, and then the. Uh, at least we didn't get a million shots of Harrison Ford's face in this one. How about that? True. Close-ups and stuff. <laughs> I, uh, I think the other thing that I, I was a big callback uh, was the, uh, him zooming in on things all the time. Or uh, going to the left, go to the right. Because he, does, I mean, he does that in one scene in the original when he's zooming in on the picture. And yeah. And this, I feel like they did it like three, four times. And I'm like, I get it. You're trying to make us think this is like really close to the original movie. But I mean, talking about it with you, like I said, I'm more positive. Continue with your similar Rubicon. I didn't mean to so, interrupt. Or talk. Obviously, no, you're good. Obviously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the first Blade Runner because it is in theme, in, in mood. I mean, I would, I would argue to say that this movie needs to be seen on a rainy day also. It needs to be seen when you're in that mood where. You know, is what is what does it mean really mean to be human? And this movie could kind of show you. Um, and the the other two movies I picked was um, I get a I get kind of you know this movie was kind of bad, but Terminator Salvation in the in the terms of how the future is viewed, and um, in the Blade Runner series, you the future is kind of viewed negatively, and in just like in Terminator, the the future is negative. So you kind of it's kind of more bad than good, and. I got this real heavy sadness from this movie because, you know, I don't want the future to be like this. Or, or I don't want our future to be like that. So, 
we, you know, we got to start now to make I sure that big, doesn't happen. Uh, I got a big Terminator vibe too, mostly from the whole child thing in the picture, John Con- Connor. And I think you can like Terminator Salvation. I think you can relate John Connor with Ryan Gosling's character. Absolutely. And of course, you know, the robots, uh, similar, yeah. the similarity. And then for the final one, I got a minority report type of vibe. I can see that. So, and of course, Minority Report is one of my favorite movies. Uh, and Minority in Minority Report, they don't really explain how the science works either. And I dig that, and how they did that in twenty forty nine. I did want to mention, and I forgot to mention this: Coruscant uh, in Episode One and Episode Two. I think you see a little Coruscant in Episode Three. I got a heavy like when I watched the first Blade Runner. I got a heavy. Uh, Star Wars vibe that maybe George Lucas was a little influenced by Blade Runner to, when he made Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a little uh, uh, Blade Runner vibe I could definitely thinking s- about Coruscant. Yeah, I definitely could see that. How cramped it's supposed to be, how polluted and Flying how cars. Flying cars. Fifth Element so, oh, has something like that, too. Yeah, man. New York City is shitty. Um, <laughs> overall, after, after talking through it with Mario... I got to say, I came out looking more positive to, positively with this movie. Um, this movie is not for everyone, by no means. This movie is very long, and it's kind of, and it, it can be dry. There's not a ton of action. It's, it's long. It's very, very, very character-driven. And, and the fact that it's, it's a journey for the characters themselves, um, some of it could be confusing. Some of it you can't understand. I know I was taken out because of the dialect of one of the characters because I couldn't stop. <laughs> couldn't stop focusing on her saying the word Deckard, which sounded really cool coming out of her mouth. But I was just, I Dakad. wasn't paying attention. Dakad. I wasn't paying attention to anything else she was saying. <laughs> Talk about the one replicant. But overall, the one replicant leader. Yeah. Dakad. Um, this Dakad. movie, you know, this movie surprised me how much I, it took, how long it took for me to, to know whether or not I enjoyed it. And I would say, the positives definitely. I'm still conflicted. The negatives. I'm. St- I mean, I will. Pro- I'm probably. There's going to be a new spot on our countdown at the end of the year of movies. I just don't know where the hell it goes, and it's going to be Blade <laughs> Runner 2049. Um, welcome to limbo. Welcome to limbo. That's a good one. We should do it. Yeah. And movie. It's got to be. It's limbo. The limbo spot is for movies that could go anywhere in your top ten, and you just don't know where. Or, or it could what, be in your uh, letdowns. It could be in your letdowns or your top 10. It could be anywhere in your top 10s. But that Blade Runner 2049 is, I, would, I wouldn't consider it a masterpiece, but it definitely is a movie that is going to make you think. It's, it's, it's long, so you better be prepared to watch this movie. So don't, don't go in tired thinking you're going to finish this movie. You're not, because I almost fell asleep during this movie. I'm a, I will not lie. I finally figured out how I can describe the plot. How? I, I, when I think about the plot, I love the story. I love the storytelling, but some of the beats weren't there, and I guess. It's got to be the beat at the end with Harrison Ford meeting his daughter, because that's the only beat that I don't care about, because we don't, we don't get the chance to, to stay with... Because if you're going into this movie and you don't know Blade Runner 1, you don't really... You shouldn't care about Harrison Ford's character reuniting with his daughter, because it's just not there enough. There's not enough time for the audience to make a cohesive bond yeah. with Harrison Ford. And it's just not there. And I would say 
that is the biggest problem with this movie to me. I wanted the end, maybe unless unless the whole point of this movie is to feel empty in the end, because I definitely felt kind of empty at the end when I saw this movie, because I still don't know emotionally how I feel at this movie. But in movie wise, entertainment wise, this movie did entertain me. But trying to relate it to my feelings, it's very hard because yeah, I couldn't relate to it because I would never give up my daughter no matter what. So Harrison Ford, go screw yourself. I don't even care who you are. I just, <laughs> even he's if the, she was See, on, he's still the bad guy. If, I don't care if, you, if she was a mutant. Uh, I'm killing, I'm not killing, but I'm protecting Evelyn, my daughter, with my life. So I just, I couldn't, maybe that's why I couldn't relate to Harrison Ford because he gave up, gave up his daughter even if it was for her safety. Did you I relate? Just... Did you relate more to the foreigner when Jackie Chan's daughter died to this movie with the see, daughter? See, I, I just, I don't know how. It, I'd never been put in that situation where I would have to go to the ends, the world, the world's end, to, to satisfy the anger or revenge. But I, I would say that Jackie Chan did a way better job of being a father and me relating to him because it was very real. Like I could see I could see myself saying the things that Jackie Chan did, like when am I going to meet this boy? You're going to look pretty in that dress. Father's very supportive. You know, that's the kind of father I want to be, very supportive. You just don't feel that. You don't I guess you don't feel the fatherliness with Harrison Ford. And I think that's the biggest problem with the movie is I just I couldn't relate to Harrison Ford. We said I think we've said it like 20 times. I'll tell you what yeah, we. I mean, we. Yeah, we. We're kind of repeating ourselves at this point. Yeah, we are. But I think what Harrison Ford will say is, "I got paid for this movie." <laughs> Honestly. So let's. We're gonna wrap it up in a little bow. Mario gave it a seven or a nine, depending upon the highs and the low of the movie. Is that a, is that accurate, Mario? Is that is that an accurate? Would you say? I would say accurate? so. So Mario, but it's definitely going in limbo. It will oh, not definitely be definitely going in limbo. I don't think I don't think it's going in my top ten or my honorable mentions. It's not definitely not going in my letdowns. Yeah, it's and not I, going anywhere. Uh, I, I, you know what? I enjoyed this movie, but I don't know if I liked like this movie. You know, this movie. Yeah. I just, I want. I this was one of those movies that I, I it wasn't high on my radar. Because I wanted it to be good. So I made myself not see any trailers, not read anything about it, and I went in almost blind. And I don't know, man. I just I didn't feel anything. And I think that's that's the problem I'm having with it, because I want to feel something. I'm still conflicted, man. <laughs> we went on too long. So that was our review of Blade Runner 2049, Fire and Ice. It was it was pretty passionate sometimes. We hope you liked it. So as always, from us at Cinema 7. We want to thank you for watching with us. We want to thank you for listening with us. And you want, we want to thank you for exploring with us. <laughs>